everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Infection Control Matters. You're with Brett Mitchell again today, and uh, Martin Keenan. Hello, Martin. Hey, Brett. Another ASIPSI special. The ASIPSI mm-hmm. special, that's right. We're continuing mm-hmm. our ASIPSI conference special. And on that front, we have two special guests uh, today, uh, Dr. Mary Wire and Dr. Cian Hall. And we're going to be talking about a, a topic that's on the SIPSI conference um, program that Mary's presenting on. It's on strengthening biopreparedness for managing patients with suspected high-consequence infectious disease using simulation and video reflexive methods. And um, Dr. Mary Wire is a nurse educator for biopreparedness at the New South Wales Biocontainment Centre at Westmead and a postdoctoral researcher at Westmead Institute for Medical Research. And Dr. Cian Hoare is a lecturer in health services management at the University of Technology in Sydney. And she's also a social scientist specializing in patient safety and infection prevention and control. Welcome, Mary, and welcome, Cian. Seemed like a big mouthful. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much for the introduction. (laughs) Great to have you both with us. So, um, a fascinating topic by preparedness, simulation, and video reflexive methods. Um, now, before we get going, perhaps people are going to say, what is video reflexive methods? So maybe that's a starting point yeah, before, we get start. <laughs> before we get any further. Um, Mary, would you, do you want to kick off on this one? Or, or well, actually, CN yeah. uh, was my... Um, 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 See what we were, you were my oh, it's late supervisor. You were my supervisor for my PhD. I was, and I was Mary's me. supervisor. Yeah, and um, but you know, obviously, so much more than that now. Mary's taught me so much, even while I was, you know, allegedly her supervisor. Um, but um, okay, I'll, I'll start with what what video reflexivity means. Maybe it's a little bit of a mouthful, <laughs> as you've noticed. But in a lot of ways, it's quite simple, and it's um, not very different to what a lot of people are already doing in healthcare. So video, because we use video, and we what we do is we work with people to video practices that are of interest that usually are very kind of mundane practices that tend to be taken for granted, but not always. And then we look at it with them in reflexive sessions. So it's a bit like an interventionist methodology because unlike most research where we go in and collect data and take it out of the field and then analyze it and bring it back in, right? We actually keep the data kind of warm, so to speak, in the field and engage with our participants to analyze that data together with them. That's what the reflexivity is all about. It's about looking at our everyday practices and then not just kind of thinking one-on-one, you know, what did I do? What could I have done better? Which is a lot of professional reflections about. This is about acknowledging that the work that we do in healthcare is complex. And the work that we do uh, affects other people, affects the context, and the context affects why we do what we do as well. So it's an acknowledgement of kind of the ways in which um, healthcare work is carried out in complex situations. And it's not it's trying to make, keep things complex without simplifying them necessarily. That's good. That's a great explanation. Just on the reflexive side of it. So if, yeah. if you were videoing me yeah. and I was doing something, whatever it might be, um, the reflexive part, is it me looking at myself? Is it a team? Can you do can you do a combination of all those things? So you're getting sort of 360-degree uh, critique, if you want. Yeah. So it could. it's actually quite flexible. So it could be you looking at yourself. And Mary and I have done some work with that on PPE training. However, it seems to be most effective because it's unusual when you get a team of people 
And, you know, in a lot of senses, what you have is um, multiple perspectives on one situation. And that leads to really interesting discussion because people then start to see how their work is interconnected with other people's work and how it affects others and vice versa. I was quite interested in the fact you said uh, that you keep the data warm. Because I find often data is given people so cold, they need to thaw it before they're going to look at it again, in which case they, they, they've lost interest. So by warm, do you mean that they, they view this video soon after the practice so that it's fresh in their mind and it's directly applicable to what they're doing? Yeah, I, in fact, the work that I did for my PhD was with patient involvement in infection control. And so um, I would video processes that were happening around patients the patient and I would then look back at that footage straight afterwards and we filmed um, what the patient was seeing in that footage, what they saw around infection control, the kinds of things they did to try and keep themselves safe or how they understood infection control, mm -hmm. and then showed the original footage, the footage of what, um, of what the patient said as well. And that's often when the patient was still actually in the unit. So it was that, you know, that, that, um, that recent. And... You know that really did hit home to patient, to the staff. You know, well, wow, we need to be talking to our patients in in different ways about infection control. Things aren't getting through to them, or we thought that we were telling them um, the kinds of things that that they really aren't understanding. You've got to build up a lot of trust before that, haven't you? Well, I think that's what CN's good at talking about. That you know, this okay. is not easy work. It's not a matter of just getting a camera out and pulling it out and saying right we're going to video you and now you're going to look at yourselves you have to build a lot of trust you have to build relationships you have to um, make sure that everyone's safe and comfortable but in all the time we've been doing it um, in the western city local health district it's been since 2013 we haven't had any complaints about how we've managed it um, yet <laughs> fingers crossed <laughs> skillfully then <laughs> Talk, talking about miscommunication i i missed I had a miscommunication myself when I first heard about video reflexive ethnography. I got confused because it kept being referred to as VRE. And I had VRE <laughs> in my mind, <laughs> a certain type of bug, not a methodological approach. So it's funny how we, uh, we can easily misinterpret things and, you know, and get, get this wrong. So, um, your talk at the SIPC conference is on strengthening biopreparedness. Um, for patients with suspected high consequence infectious disease using the simulation and video reflexive methods so where did what was the i guess the problem that you were trying to solve um when thinking about about this this uh, this issue and this topic so you know normally when we do video reflexive ethnography we we're going into a unit we're talking to staff about what, you know, what are the issues. So, for example, the project that Sian and I originally worked on where I was a PhD student, there'd been a lot of um, MRSA transmission in wards and we were going in to talk to them about that and looking at practices and trying to, you know, just trying to see where transmission might be happening or some of the practices that were working really well for people. Um, in this case, we're starting with a brand new unit. We're not, we're not able to really go in um, to, to have a look at practices so much there. But I guess the idea was, well, I'm actually a nurse educator in this new unit, in this new biocontainment centre. I know that um, we were involved in some of the training in the older 
quarantine rooms that were the dedicated quarantine rooms for Westmead Hospital. And there were a bunch of processes that were um, formed there by the State of Biopreparedness Committee in response to the um, 2014 Ebola outbreak and had kept going on until the 2018 and, uh, outbreak. And so it was kind of like, well, we've got those that worked in those in, in the older rooms. Uh, some of the ID consultants and the infection control staff had gone on um, a tour in the UK and the US to have a look at some of the biocontainment centres there. So we had some of the processes that were happening overseas. But, you know, at that point, the biocontainment centre was still just on paper, you know, like a, a floor plan. You're trying to work out how things might be working. They might work. Um, and even once it was a shell of a building and you could start walking through it, it was still very unclear how are we going to be able to do these things. So um, how most of the staff, and then I guess the other thing on top of that was all of a sudden we had a whole team of people who were going to be able to create the processes for the biocontainment centre, whereas prior to that with the State of Biopreparedness Committee, it was just people trying to do things in their spare time. So that by the new team, the biopreparedness team, were going to be going in and blocking out and doing some simulations of how care might run. So then the idea was, okay, let's go in and see this method that we know has worked in the past to help people work out infection control um, issues or to look for really good practices has worked before in our other projects. Why don't we go in and just start using it while they're blocking these um, blocking these uh, processes out? Um, you know, we could use some of the things that had been used in the old unit, but there was so many more. Um, processes, things like, well, what happens if a healthcare worker collapses? Um, we have autoclaves in the new um, in the new build. We didn't have autoclaves before. How are we going to use these things? How are we going to get things in and out of the space safely? Um, and so we're blocking all of that kind of stuff and using the video um, to help us understand those processes. How did you come up with the list of processes then? Did you actually just sit and map them all out and think what, you know, all the what ifs and, and try and program simulation based on those or yeah so i mean i think we're still going we certainly not um got all of them all of the ideas thought <laughs> but we, can, we came up you with a list can. of we came up with a list of um things that we knew would definitely have to be um addressed then uh prioritize the ones that you know you wouldn't have time to sit around if something happened in a ward if there was a patient and think mm, how are we going to do mm -hmm. this you know what are we going to do if there's a um, healthcare worker down. What are we going to do um, about taking X-rays? These things that we have to that we know are getting bloods out of out of a unit safely. Um, they, you know, the team took the older processes from the older the older ways of doing it in the other units in the hospital. Um, took the ideas from Nebraska and Minnesota and you know the the, the UK biocontainment centres. Created something on paper. Blocked it out like worked it out, we videoed it. And I think the lovely thing about the video too was that not everyone can be there for a simulation. So then we were able to show it back to much wider groups of people and involve cleaners, involve um, you know the general service staff, enjoy, involve IPAC people who couldn't be there, the laboratory staff who couldn't be there for bloods, so that everyone could have a bit of a say in, oh, well, that's not going to work because of this, which is something that perhaps we hadn't thought of um, while we were actually... Um, just blocking it out. Yeah, that's um, a that's a real advantage, isn't it? Because I was just I was going to ask you who was involved in looking at the at the videos, um, and yeah, I mean it's common. It just didn't dawn on me, but that of course you'd be able to look at all these other get involved all these other multidisciplinary groups to get different perspectives on a similar scenario, and so how's that going to work for you? 
And I think that's what CM was alluding to before. When you get a group of people together, it is very effective because you start understanding everyone's um, different perspectives on how things run and be able to come to a more um, just a you know just a broader understanding of of everybody you know how everybody how everybody's job works to make safe care in the complex health environment that we, yeah. that we work exactly in. yeah and it allows people to really see the complexity of their work and not as something that they have to try to simplify and tame but they can actually embrace it you know it's fantastic for getting people engaged in improvement uh, i remember presenting this recently to some um, researchers and they said oh it's 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 just so completely different to how people are usually trained in infection prevention and control or you know in terms of competencies where you're told this is what you should do and then you take it off you know it's almost lifeless whereas in this kind of scenario you think about how many people mary has managed to bring into this project to actually think about infection control practices their own maybe you know it transfers out to thinking about how they might practice outside of the of the biocontainment unit as well and it's, i think it's brilliant you know the amount of knowledge that's generated and learning out of this one you know relatively small project yeah and i want to point out it hasn't just been me <laughs> I'm just wondering if different staff groups got a bit of a better understanding of how other staff groups work in that area uh, and the part they have to play in you know, maintaining a safe environment or patient safety or staff safety, for that, for that example, really. Yes. I mean, I think um, well, going back to something we did uh, um, just prior to this work was a simulation that we did of a COVID patient actually walking into um, – uh, one of our satellite, one of our other LHD hospitals, and following them in that particular hospital, the teleconference that happened, the ride in the ambulance, the difficulties the ambulance drivers had trying to find where they needed to go, um, the 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 transfer of that patient up to the quarantine rooms, and then showing that that back to everybody, so that the person at the original hospital sees the issues that are happening for the people at the mm -hmm. accepting hospital, sees what's happened for the ambulance staff who haven't been able to find the place, and were able to come up actually with a um, what was it called? See in the the document that they it was, came up it was with? like a one pager to help the ambulance figure out how to get where they needed to, but to be flexible enough. Um, so it wasn't too prescriptive. So that that was fantastic because, like Mary said, you know, the whole process was carefully planned and it was, you know, a big project trying to get everyone to do the simulation. So many people were involved. And yet, you know, we were able to still find things that people hadn't thought of because they just hadn't tried it out. Yeah. And this has been found in some of our previous work as well, even, um, you know, when taking a swap, for instance, there was one little project we did um, where we, we did the journey of a swap. <laughs> and then <laughs> from the very start, you know, printing out the stickers in the ward and, you know, the nurse going to the patient, explaining what the thing was for, getting the swab done and then putting it together, sending it into the um, was it a pneumatic tube system and then seeing it drop out of the <laughs> tube at the labs and going all the way through and then to the little sushi train, you know, the machine and all that kind of stuff. And it was really fantastic because the nurses in the ward got to see what happened at the lab the people in the lab got to see what happened in the ward and they were have, able to have this kind of conversation and work out some of the issues actually that had been um troubling them things like you know why why do we get these preliminary results at this certain point you know so they were able to answer some of these questions by looking at the system as a whole and bringing them together that was also the important part oh that's what i was going to say you bring them together to do the viewing do you yeah 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 it's a great example i would love to be a fly on the wall uh, for when the the labs the lab stuff actually gets specimen that's um, fully completed and there's uh, full details on there. 
and and you can hear the champagne courts popping yeah, up. That's right. <laughs> um, so I guess broadly, I mean, you've you've, you've talked about um, you know how how you did this, and there would have been lots of individual findings, presumably about we've got a gap here, a problem here that you can go and address through um, how we're going to resolve this, or through a policy yeah. change or procedural change, but. Uh, very, very sort of um, broadly, ha- what what were the big ticket items that you found in terms of uh, the usefulness of of this approach to to the situation of of uh, uh, biocontainment or high consequence infectious disease unit? Yeah, and I think you know um, one of one of our issues has been that we haven't been able to do as much of this fully because of COVID happening, and a lot of our team are infectious disease consultants and have been off doing COVID. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I had hoped that we might have got a bit more done um, by now, especially a- around a couple of the things that we'll be presenting tomorrow. Um, but I think the big thing is that I think in the end people can feel safer about the processes and going in. People are quite obviously come in to training um, to think about looking after someone with Ebola or another high-consequence infectious disease we don't even know yet, and they want to know they're going to be safe. Um, mm. And they, they, you know, often we have people coming in thinking, I'm interested, but I'm not 100% sure this is something that I really want to do. And we have to say to them, you know, just because you do this course doesn't mean you're going to have to, um, you know, you're going to get called up and enlisted and you have to walk into that room. But we do want, a, you know, a team of people who are ready, ready to go and feel confident and safe to go in. So I think... What it does in the end is makes us all very confident that everybody feels this process is now safe. When we get those bloods out of the room, they're clean. The lab staff are not worried about what they're receiving um, at that end. And the staff are not feeling like their PPE has been compromised to, or you know, for them to, to, leave, to leave the space. Or if I faint, they're going to get me out safely so that I'm not, that I'm not compromised. And I think um, one of the... the, the, the the, the most well-rounded thing that happens so far, at least, is um, in terms of x-rays. Um, we have the, the, the x-ray staff, the radiolo- radiographers, not want to go into the room with their machine. We had a problem where we've got these blinds that um, were in, in between the glass and they couldn't be retracted, so the uh, x-rays couldn't be taken through the blinds. Um, it was asked, could we change these doors? No, that was going to cost too much money. So we did, we did this process and we videoed it and we, we all had a look and they, they understood a few things just through the simulation, but when they watched the video, came up with so many more issues that they could see through the video. And that, that, that footage was then able to be taken to the people who make these money decisions. <laughs> they could see the issues and those doors are now going to be replaced. And nice. you know, maybe the doors were going to be replaced if we hammered hard enough, but I think you know, it was bringing that finally in where everyone could see and everyone had really systematically gone through and seen what, what these real issues were. And some of these issues, um, you know, it could affect the, um, I guess, the reputation of the hospital were things to go wrong. So um, I feel pretty happy about that, <laughs> that we managed to... Have you been able to measure that at all, Mary? You know, either reduce stress about a situation or increase confidence that it will go well at all? We found it so hard, haven't we, Sian, to measure? Mm. Lynn, Lynn Gilbert actually has, we put a paper out recently um, about trying to prove that we reduced MRSA transmission from that uh, project I said that Sian and I worked on originally. 
Yeah, oh, we published an infectious disease and health, actually. Yeah, so yeah. I was going to mention no, I remember that the one, paper, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think it was presented at a previous ACIPC <laughs> conference. Um, that was, uh, I think we were able to to suggest quite strongly <laughs> that over time using a time series analysis and other various statistical things that I'm not 100% um, over, that uh, we the project did suggest um, that there was some kind of reduction in um, MRSA prevalence. Mm. Um, but because it was, you know, it was conducted um, while there were other interventions happening, it was very complex to untangle all the causes from the possible effects. And also just... So it's sorry. just... Oh, go for it, Mary. Well, I was just thinking about the Talking With Patients project where we were trying to, like, get... get um, healthcare staff more uh, comfortable with talking to patients and so we thought we'd do a before and after um, survey you know like about how confident are you to talk to patients and but mm. what we found after the actual intervention of showing people and that actually at the end they were less confident and that was because at the beginning they thought oh you know yeah we're fine we know what we're doing and then through this process <laughs> started to feel a bit less confident about it wasn't necessarily a bad thing because they developed some resources but they kind of came to a better understanding so it's actually really hard to to measure this no i don't think that's oh, a bad thing no it's not that that the thing is is what is difficult is you don't know what's going to happen necessarily so we have a much better idea now of what kinds of things can come out of doing a vre project but because so much of it depends on engagement with like i said before the complexity of uh, the particular context plus the people in there who comes and who says what and what they bring to the table that we cannot always predict what we're going to find and so you know going back to kind of brett's question about some of the big ticket things that we find from these what what we find is that actually what we get is a lot of small ticket things that are very meaningful to the people on the ground who want to you know make improvements to their practice and then what gets transferred is maybe not so much these things although they can be put together to provide advice and recommendations but it's actually the method itself i think this attention to what we what people do as as everyday practices this idea that they should be working it out together, paying some attention to what they do, working it out together. And then, you know, that really builds the capacity for learning and change in a unit and doesn't depend on a researcher coming in and, you know, leaving in a couple of months with all their funding. So, you know, if there's anything that we could say would be a, a fairly consistent, strong recommendation is that people maybe should be doing more of this kind of work with their own units and um, so that so we tried to do that a little bit with some of the video reflexive uh, workshops that we ran with um, some you know senior nurses. But I think actually Mary <laughs> encapsulates this perfectly and personifies this um, you know in her current role as an educator, which is why I think it's just fantastic. Along with with Trish Ver with Trish Ferguson, who's um, who's very supportive, yeah. and Ramon. Hmm. I mean, going hmm. on what Mary said, you know. Actually, could it could make people more anxious about what they're doing? But that's just reflecting on themselves that they actually didn't know what they thought they knew, and maybe they need to know more. So, yeah. possibly questioning them after the process immediately might make them less confident. Mm. But if you went back six months later, they may be more confident because they may have changed their practice as a result. So, there's, there's quite a nice longer term piece of work there to be done, isn't there? Because actually, you know, everybody so you thinks they know back? a certain amount, but mm. yeah. Well, Suyin did go back. There was this lovely piece where Suyin um, filmed. Um, a patient being transferred through a really tight space, an infectious patient in an ICU needing to be transferred to a single room. Everyone's in their gown and gloves, all eyes on the patient. But as they're walking through and they're all watching this footage, they're touching the curtains and they're pushing the x-ray machine out the way and, you know, the infection is being 
spread all over the place. And one of them just says, we just need someone who goes in the front and doesn't have gown and gloves on and they push everything out of the way. And Cian's going, well, do you think you could do that? And she went, and you went back, didn't you, Cian, a couple of months later? And they said, yeah, that's what we do now. Yeah, so that was nice. Yeah, I mean, actually just highlighted something that, that you know, there are all these processes going on. And we, as infection prevention folk, go in and go, you know, you're non-compliant. And actually, it may just be a complete reflection of how complex the process is rather than there being actually non-compliant. It's just it's just so much to do, isn't there? And sometimes I think we could do with watching those videos as well and thinking, well, actually, you know, in that situation, what else really could they do? Yeah. I don't know. We had a perfect example. We had two safety rules in contrast with one another, clashing almost. One was that you couldn't bring in the charts into an isolated isolation room because you didn't want it done to get contaminated but the other was you had to bring the charts in because you had to check the patient's MRN against the order right so they were they were telling us they were these two rules didn't seem to be you know any way around it but then they still managed to think of other things they could do for example have a buddy you know so somebody who come in and just holds the charts and then you do the checking but you know the problem was that you know when you're giving out meds usually everyone's doing that it's really busy it's hard to find someone to do that with you they had some other ideas like um, get a clean trolley in with you, right? And put the charts on that and then take it out with you again and then clean it all down. But again, trolleys were limited. And so they went through all these, you know, different scenarios. Some, one unit bought more trolleys, um, another unit. Um, there was another interesting idea, though, which kind of reflects, I think, the real creativity of um, frontline practitioners if you let them, you know, give them an opportunity. And they thought, well, why don't we ask the doctors to schedule the IV antibiotics at a slightly different time so that not everybody's trying to rush around madly do all these things at once at the same time in the morning when, you know, doctor's rounds are also going on at the same time. So that I thought was a really nice kind of out of the box idea, which which could have been a really nice solution as well. Mm. Um, look, like, like usual, we, we, we get on these topics and we just keep talking and it's fascinating. We could keep doing it, but uh, I, I am I'm I could starting, go to, I'm starting to look at time thinking, oh, no. So I, I wonder, um, what's the next next step for this? What would, you, what, what would be the, the next big things you'd like, like to see um, from this project? Well, as Suyin said, I'd just like to see that we just keep doing this because it's working. People seem to like it. Once they've got over thinking, oh, there's... Does my hair look like that really from behind? <laughs> they, <laughs> they Mine looks enjoy, the same from front and back. <laughs> they enjoy doing it. There's always a little bit of hesitancy at the beginning and then after a while it's like, oh, yeah, this is great. We, they, they understand the value of it. So I'd like to think that we keep doing that. But also Su Yin said that, um, that people might be able to start just doing it themselves without help from, say, a researcher or... or, um, or um. Now, I mean, how I, easy is it to do if you just, you know, because it's easier to think I can just grab a GrowPro and off we go. Yeah. So is there a is there a practical guide to something you could Im implement locally that you could sign posters to? We have got a book. <laughs> we wrote a book. <laughs> a book. Okay. Well, well what's the name of the book? You get a, you get a plug we'll, in we'll, here. We'll, you get a plug. Yeah, yeah. It's called yeah, we'll okay. Video Reflexive Ethnography in Health Research and Healthcare Improvement Theory Beautiful. and Application. Rick Edemer is the um, first author, I-E-D-E-M-A, and Suyin and I are in there, on there too. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, I've been, I've, I've been wanting to, and I have in more recent times, asked some of our, um, our podcast, I don't know what's the right word, podcasters, I'm not sure, but Guests. some of the people we've been uh, interviewing about ethics. And now this is, this is um, a really interesting one, this one. So how, how have you got about the consent 
um, process. And I know this isn't of interest to all our listeners who might keep this bit short, but um, but you know that must be complex when you're when you're going into a unit and you want to film um, and you want to use that perhaps for research purposes as well as quality improvement. So, any tips or broad approach you've used for that one? We came up with four principles when we were writing that book to help people figure out how to make decisions kind of on the fly, because a lot of this, like we said, is so uncertain. The fourth principle, although it's the fourth, is actually the most important, is care. And that recognises that the work that we do can place people in positions of vulnerability because, you know, you're asking people to have their behaviour viewed by their colleagues, basically, right? And so what they need, in order for this to succeed at all, anyone involved has to feel safe, and the way we do this is we, um, if you speak about consent, we have a process for consent where we see it as something that's very much ongoing. Uh, you know, just because you've signed a consent form sometime in the past doesn't mean that you are okay with what's happening. So we are always checking. Can we, you know, video this? Um, you know, after we video, would you like to have a look at what it looked like? You know, is it okay with you if we keep this footage? And, you know, as you can see, on and on and on. And Mary's been working, for example, with um, patients, and she's constantly checking with them, even as she's using the footage at conferences. I'm going to, you know, present this. It features you. Are you happy with me doing this? So at every step of the way, just thinking about the concerns that participants might have and then doing your very best to try to um, meet those concerns and, you know, leaving always open the possibility that, um, you know, you might get something wrong and always inviting people to, to talk to you. So it's a very ongoing process. It's, it requires a lot of attention and care to you know, the social situation, paying attention to what people are saying, pay attention to their body language. Um, and I was going to, and like Martin was saying, it's not as simple as it just picking up a GoPro and going with it. But in many ways, it actually can be as simple as that. So it doesn't require a lot of equipment, you know, but it does require care mm. and and paying attention to relationships, which healthcare workers are actually quite good at. Yes. And making the camera always visible. We never hide a camera. It's visible. Well, I'm, I'm going to go and get the book, I think, because I... I think this is it's such a fascinating topic. I love listening to you uh, every time, Mary, when I've heard you conferences talk about it anyway. And I, I think it's a really good way of getting people to recognise what they're going on in their own practice. But I, I also like the fact that you get some feel of what other people are doing as well. And so, therefore, where you fit in this great jigsaw of where healthcare is. Um, so we're, we're going to wrap up for today. I just want to highlight uh, before I thank uh, Mary and Suyin that we've got another couple of podcasts coming from the SIPC meeting and we've got Professor Lydia Morawska later on this week going to be talking about the air discussion that uh, I know went down a storm having looked at Twitter overnight and uh, we also have Stephanie Curtis looking at proximity sensors for contact tracing next week as well because that has been a variable success here in the UK so it'll be interesting to listen to the Australian experience so Thanks as usual, Brett. Always great to speak to you. Mary and Suyin, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a fascinating discussion. We could talk about this, I think, for a long time, and I suspect, and hopefully at some time face-to-face in the future before too long as well. Oh, yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, thanks for having us. Suyin, thank you for joining us as well. Thank you, bye. Thank you so much for having us. Bye. Bye Bye-bye, everybody.